Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. All right, so we're going to start tonight and uh, or continue tonight. Last week, Brother Roberts uh, taught the first lesson in our discipleship course 301. And for those of you that weren't able to be here Sunday, I know we had some inclement weather, but I want to thank you uh, if you were here or, were, or joined us online through the E-Family, through our uh, streaming service. Um, we took up a commitment offering, a commitment to uh, our resource 2021. That's our vision for 2021 is resource. And it's really just a different way of looking at the church, a different way of looking at what we come to the church for. All right, and, and I, I believe that as we get close to the coming of the Lord, the church is going to be a place where we come to get resourced, a place where we come to get equipped, all right, so that we can go back out and do the work of ministry. All right, it's going to be less about what we do here and about what we get equipped from here to go and do. So uh, I want us to start making some statements of faith. We, we do that over our tithing, but I want us to make some declarations of faith over ministry. So I'm going to ask you guys to say these words, words with me. I am trained. I am equipped. I'm empowered. All right, that's, that's what we're going to do when we come together on Sunday and Wednesday. You're going to be trained, you're going to be equipped, and you're going to be empowered. All right, now, we want to, we want to equip more than just head knowledge. All right, we want the Holy Ghost to do the equipping work. We want the Spirit of God. But I believe this, amen, the Bible talks about praying in in, in, in the spirit and in understanding. Amen. We need both. We need the spirit to empower us, and we need to also be empowered through our understanding of the word. We need to be equipped. And so that's our goal tonight. We're going to be talking about doctrine. Amen. Some of the key uh, doctrines of the word of God, the doctrine of salvation. Amen. How many of you, how many of you believe that it's necessary to be saved? All right. That's the foundation of, of the doctrine of salvation is, first of all, the belief that you've got to be saved. Amen. After uh, the apostle Peter got done preaching on the day of Pentecost, the response of those that were in the crowd said, what do we need to do to be saved? All right. So that's the fundamental beginning of salvation. All right. And in order for something to be a doctrine, it has to be throughout the scripture. You can't just find it in one place and say, well, that's a doctrine. All right. And the doctrine of salvation in the Old Testament, they needed salvation. Right. For Noah in that generation, salvation was getting on a boat. Right? Before that, it was uh, salvation came through the offering of, uh, of sacrificial offerings. Right? But there's always been a need for salvation. In, in fact, the very first sin that was committed when Eve took the fruit, that began the doctrine of salvation. And we know that first salvation was when that innocent animal right, laid down its life or its life was taken and the covering of that, the skins of that animal covered Adam and Eve in their nakedness and the, the, the death of that animal paid the price. Instead of Adam and Eve dying, that animal died. It was the propitiation. It took the place so they didn't have to die. And so from, from Genesis to Revelation, the doctrine of salvation is fundamental. It's the most important doctrine. All right? And, and every one of us should be asking that question. What do I need to do to be saved? 
right? Yes, I know initially, we're going to talk about tonight, initial salvation, but we don't adhere to once saved, always saved. That's not a biblical doctrine, all right? Paul talked about making shipwreck of your faith. There are things that you can do to lose your salvation, absolutely, all right? You can be saved and go back to the world. You can, you can be saved and go back to an old way of living, and the, the Bible says it's like a house that's been swept out. You clean it. But you'd be better off not to get rid of the devil if you go back to the way you're living because then that devil brings seven other devils with it. So it's not just about getting saved, but there's also a walk of faith, a walk, a walk of salvation, staying, amen, staying in the way, if I could say it that way. Staying in, staying in truth, building, building yourself on your most holy faith. So uh, tonight we're going to continue in our second uh, class, our second a lesson in this, in this study that we're doing, and we're going to talk about biblical salvation. All right, last week we talked about the oneness of God. Tonight we're going to talk about biblical salvation. And uh, everybody get the handout? You got your booklets? All right, everybody, got, anybody need a booklet? All right, up here we got a, two or three over here that need some. All right, they're getting those for you. Right over here, Brother Christian, one, one back there in the uh, center area. All right, if you'll keep your hands up, Brother Christian will find you. By the way, did you all ever recognize how awesome Brother Christian is? If you haven't, if you haven't recognized how awesome Brother Christian is because you haven't been paying attention or you, just, or you didn't notice him because Brother Christian is just, he and, he and Sister Flo both, just a great family, a great part of Living Hope, um, just a hunger to grow, a hunger to learn. He's always... Approaching me, Pastor, I, give me something to do. I want to do something. I want to do something to serve. I want to do something to, to grow. And, and uh, that's, that's the kind of spirit and mindset we need to have. Anybody else need a workbook before we dive in? Everybody good? All right. I think we, we're good? All right. Let's start. All right. Let's start with Calvary. That's a great place to start. We live in the dispensation of grace, and grace, there is no grace without Calvary. Right? The cross of Calvary is what makes our salvation possible. Right? Noah, for Noah in his generation, it was the ark. Right? For us, getting on a boat does not save you. Calvary is what makes salvation possible for us. It was here that Jesus paid the debt we owe because of sin. Right, for Adam and Eve, it was that, it was that sacrificial lamb. Right? The book of Hebrews tells us in the New Testament that the, the, the blood of bulls and goats does nothing. Right? It, it does nothing for us now. That's not our salvation comes because of the price that Jesus Christ paid at Calvary. Jesus' death was a propitiation or a reconciliation. Anybody that knows anything about accounting, you know when a when an account is reconciled, that means the debt is gone. All right, it means that, that both sides of the accounting category are, are even. There is no debt that is owed any longer. And that is what the death of Jesus Christ did. It became our propitiation. It became our reconciliation for our sins. Propitiation is an offering or a sacrifice to turn away sin. All right, it became the sacrifice that turns, there's, there's no other thing, nothing else. Not all of your good works, not you being a great person, not any amount of money you can earn, all right? None of that 
There's no work that you can do that turns away sin out of your life. All right? There are people that you know, believe that if they will just, if they'll just beat themselves up, you know, and, and some physically even, that they'll just kind of beat themselves up or, or mentally or emotional, and they think somehow that that's doing, doing away with the sin. But there's only one thing that can pay the price and turn away sin, and that's Calvary. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that, he might, that we might rather be made the righteousness of God in him. He made him to be sin. Jesus Christ took on all the sins. Anybody ever, hopefully, after you commit a sin, you feel that guilt? I hope you do. If you don't, that means your conscience has been seared. That's, that's worse. All right? Imagine feeling all the sin from beginning of time to the end of time. Imagine feeling that compound guilt of all the sin. That's what Jesus felt. And sometimes the more that we sin, the less we feel. Jesus had never sinned. And yet in one moment, he took on every sin that would ever be committed was placed on him. What a heaviness that must have been. Romans 5 and 19, For as by one man's disobedience, talking about Adam and Eve in the garden, Many were made sinners. And so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous, right? The disobedience of, of Adam in the garden. Okay, Eve, the Bible says, was deceived. Adam was not. He knew what he was doing. And so by Adam's sin, we all were made sinners. Sin was introduced into the world. But just as that was, so by the obedience of Jesus Christ, we all have the opportunity to be made righteous. In other words, if Adam never would have eaten that fruit, if Adam would not have partaken of that fruit, we, we would not, unless somebody else came along after him, we would not have the ability to sin. But when Adam ate that fruit, we had the ability, or we had the, I shouldn't say we wouldn't have the ability, we would not have the awareness of sin. Okay, but because Adam ate that fruit, we were all given access to sin. And so it is by the obedience of Jesus Christ, we're all given access to salvation or to righteousness. So Calvary is the starting point of the gospel. The gospel is literally the good news of Jesus Christ. If somebody came to you tonight and said, hey, just want you to know I paid your mortgage off. You don't have to make another payment. How many of you would think that's good news? All right. If you don't, then you can have mine. If, since you like debt so much, you can have my mortgage payment. All right. If somebody came to you tonight and said, hey, you know what? That car payment you've been paying, don't worry about it. I got it. That's good news. Well, Better news is Jesus Christ came and said, you know what, that sin, that debt you could never pay, that debt that, was, that demanded that you would spend eternity in a lake of fire, hey, I paid the price. I made it available to you that you don't have to pay that. That is good news. That's really good news. And the Bible tells us it is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1 and 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Everybody say unto salvation. All right? So there, there is, there is a, a part that we do play in this. It begins with Calvary. That opens the door, but, but then there's got to be something we do. All right? But it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone, and it starts with our believing to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the pattern that must be followed by every believer. 
So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received. I think that should be unto you. Yes, I, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. All right, I want you to kind of circle and underline some of these things. So the first one I want you to circle or underline is if you keep. All right, he's, he's telling them that you're going to be saved by this, but here's, here's the other side of that. Yes, Calvary paid the price, but number one, if you keep. If you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, then I want you to circle this phrase, unless you have believed in vain. All right, for I delivered unto you first, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, after that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And right there in that one passage, the gospel of Jesus Christ is encapsulated in that one scripture. All right, it begins with how that he died for our sins. That's the first part of the gospel. All right, the death. The second part, that he was buried. The second part is he was buried. And the third part is he rose again. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That Jesus Christ was crucified, he was buried, but that he rose again. If you take away any one of those components... We don't have access to salvation. If Jesus Christ would have just been crucified and buried and stayed in the tomb, it would have been a great story, but we would have no hope of salvation. All right, But because he was crucified and buried, the crucifixion, it was what took place at the crucifixion, right? It's there that he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All of that, if, if he had just been buried, if he had just died a normal death and been buried and then resurrected, yeah, that would have been a great story, but the blood had to be shed at Calvary. All right? So those three components make up the gospel. The plan of salvation according to the scriptures. First of all is repentance. So just as Jesus, right, crucified, he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected, we, we partake in that. We follow the same pathway he did. We participate in that process through our obedience to the scripture. And the first one is through repentance. Romans chapter six, verses six through 10. Speak of that repentance that we need to, we, we, we need to, we need to go through. We need to obey through re repentance. All right, I'm gonna give you guys a chance to read tonight. So we're gonna do it old fashioned. All right, old-fashioned Bible study. Brother Johnson, why not, Brother Josh, why don't you stand and read Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. All right. It's not in the handout. Quote it if you don't. There you go. That's good enough. Or quote, close your eyes and quote it. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs>
All right, so that, that brings out our participation as Jesus Christ died and sin was no more. We partake in that in repentance. When we repent, that sin is no more in our life. All right, baptism, burial with Christ. Uh, let's see, who wants to read tonight? Who, who, do I have any volunteers that would Sister Sylvia? Read uh, Romans 6, 3 through 5, and then Brother Junior, I'm going to have you read Romans 8, 9 through 11. We are buried with Christ in baptism. We participate in the burial of Christ when we're baptized. I'm going to read Colossians 2 and 12. It tells us that we are buried with him in baptism, wherein also are you risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And then thirdly is the baptism of the Spirit. So the resurrection of Christ, we participate. Brother Junior, if you'll read that for me, Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. Spirit, that's, what's gonna, that's what resurrects us. That's how we're resurrected with Christ. We're buried with him in baptism, and we resurrect, as he did, by his spirit that is within us. All right, so we participate in the good news, in the gospel, not just by telling a good story of what happened, but in our obedience through repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. So let's begin with repentance. All right, we're, we're only gonna get tonight through repentance and baptism water baptism. Next week, we're going to continue on with spirit baptism. All right, first of all, in looking at repentance, there is the work of conviction and repentance, which is the beginning of salvation. Now, a lot of the religious world today is doing their best to get, we don't want conviction in our services. All right, we don't want people feeling bad about their sin, so we don't even preach against sin anymore. But we need to understand conviction is a, is a work of God. Conviction is the beginning of salvation, all right? The judgment of a jury or a judge that a person is guilty of a crime as charged. That's what conviction is. In court, when somebody is convicted, that the judge is making a statement or the jury confirmed by the judge is making a statement that you are guilty. And that's what conviction should bring you to, okay? Because the the opposite of of conviction that leads to your repentance is self-righteousness, right? Where we make excuse, justific, self-justification, where we make excuses. And it wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. I, it was their fault. They made me do it, right? But conviction brings you to a point where you say, I'm guilty. Lord, I am a sinner. I, I, the jury is right. I, I, it is me. I'm the one guilty. The glove does fit. You can't acquit, all right? I'm guilty. 
the state of being found or proven guilty. Evidence that led to the suspect's conviction. That's another definition of conviction. The state of being found or proven. There's evidence that led to the suspect's conviction. Right? When it comes to, again, that's what conviction is. When you realize there's evidence. There's evidence that proves I'm guilty. And the worst thing we can do when God's spirit begins to move on us to bring us to repentance is we start arguing. No, you can't prove it. You can't prove it was me. We're better to just say, you know what, there's evidence. You're right. It was me. I did it. The third definition is the act or process of convincing. So the process of proving that somebody is guilty, we're convicting them. We're going through the process of proving it. The state of being convinced. Right? When, when everybody is convinced, when, when we're convinced, that, that's, that's conviction. And kind of outside of the courtroom, maybe a different understanding of what conviction is, is a fixed or strong belief. So when I have a conviction, I'm not going to do something because that is a conviction that I have. All right? There are some things that the, the Word of God is, I've had people say, you know, they read the Scripture, they say, well, I see it, but I don't have a conviction against that. It doesn't work that way. Okay, if it's in the Bible, it doesn't matter whether you have a conviction or not. You submit to the Word of God. Now, there are other things outside of the Word of God that are convictions. That maybe you have a weakness in some area that other people don't. So you say, I'm gonna, I have a conviction there because God is helping me to put a barrier between myself and, and destruction. Everybody understand that? Anyway, this isn't really a, a holiness lesson, but I thought I'd throw that in there. When someone feels convicted... They are feeling their need to get their life right with God. And we should celebrate that. We should not run from conviction. We should celebrate that because there, there's no point in any, any work. of There's no point in baptizing somebody who doesn't feel like they need to get their life right with God. They're just getting a bath here in front of the whole church is what's happening. Uh, uh, thankfully, a modest bath. But they're getting a, modest in front, uh, a bath in front of the church. If you don't feel the need to get right with God... Nothing else you do is an act of salvation. But when, when you come to that place, when you feel convicted in your heart and, and you realize, I've got to get my life right with God, that is a powerful moment. That's a life-changing moment. God uses conviction to draw people to repentance. All right? The Bible says godly sorrow works repentance. Okay, so if you feel bad about sin, everybody say good. When you stop feeling bad about sin, everybody say bad. bad. Not good. All right. Repentance is more than just saying I'm sorry. Right? Sometimes we say I'm sorry because we got caught. Not because we're really sorry, but I got caught. But repentance is more than saying I'm sorry. Okay. If we're not careful, we imagine, you know, that if we say I'm sorry, it's the magic fix-all of poor choices. No doubt, I'm sorry is better than a cold-hearted, indifferent reaction, but repentance is much more than that. Right? Anybody ever, maybe in a relationship, like maybe a marriage relationship, you're kind of a, a repeat offender in an area, and you say, I'm sorry, and they're like, I don't want to hear I'm sorry anymore. Stop wearing your muddy boots in the house. I don't want to hear, I don't care if you're sorry. Right? Stop wearing your boots in the house. Change your ways. So repentance is more than just saying I'm sorry. The Oxford English Dictionary tells us 
that the emotional tone for repentance is two-part. First of all, it's turning away from sin. Right? So it's about what we're turning away from. I'm turning away from that sin that I feel convicted over, that area of my life that I know, I know is not right. But secondly, it's not just what I turn away from, but it's also now an enthusiasm for righteousness. And, and there should be both. There should be, I'm turning away from sin, but you're not going to live a very successful Christian life if you're, if you're always in the, in, the, in the dumps, always kind of Eeyore, you know, always feeling bad about things. Okay, yes, feel bad about your sin, turn, but then turn toward an enthusiasm for righteousness, that I'm excited about this better way of living. So turning away from sin and developing a love for righteousness and holiness are the foundation for salvation. So what does repentance do for me? I'm glad you asked. So again, I want you, there's some key phrases in here that I want you to circle, and then we're going to look at them in depth after we look at the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 11. Anybody want to read? Brother Sylvia, go ahead, sir. Circle that, carefulness, circle, underline. Circle that, clearing of yourselves. Circle that. Circle that. Circle that. Circle that. Circle that. Those are the seven fruits of repentance. All right? This is what repentance does for you. And if these, if these fruit aren't there in your life, and we're going to go through what each of those mean. All right? What does indignation mean? I took Pepto-Bismol. I thought that solved indignation. That's that's wrong word. All right? So, but here's the fruit of repentance. It's going to show up in your life when there's true repentance. These seven fruit are going to be visible in your life. First of all, it's carefulness. And that word carefulness that is there means an awareness to be careful of involving in sinful acts. To be careful. I don't know about you all, but when I'm not a heights person, and when I'm on a ladder above the fourth rung, I'm careful. All right. I would say when I'm on the roof, but I don't get on roofs. My wife every year... Can you put up Christmas lights this year? And every year I try. And I get up there and my legs say, that's it. I can't do no more. But if I were to get on a roof, when I would get near that ledge, I would be careful. All right, that's what carefulness is. It's an awareness that I'm getting around. The, there, there's, there's danger that is near. And, and when there's true repentance, you're, you're careful in certain settings. You're careful because you realize that danger is near. Okay, when there's not true repentance, you're just careless. You just continue to do what you've always done. All right, secondly is clearing of yourselves. The second fruit of repentance is clearing of yourselves. And this is where guilt is removed by his grace. True repentance wipes away guilt. 
when you truly repent, it, it removes guilt out of your life. And that's a work of the Spirit. All right? That's a work that only God can do because it's not like the memory goes away. All right? Sometimes maybe God will take the memory away, but what's more beautiful is when God takes the pain associated with the memory away. And God will do that. When you truly repent of your sin, God will take the guilt and the shame of that sin away. Thirdly, and here's one that I don't know that we don't preach very often anymore, but this is one of the fruits of repentance. It's a hatred for sin. If you still love that same sin, you didn't repent. You said, I'm sorry, but you didn't repent. Okay, and and, and again, that doesn't, we're still human beings, so I'm not saying that that you're not still going to be tempted in some of those areas, but true repentance is going to build within you a hatred, an indignation. Pepto-Bismol don't take care of that one. Repentance does. Fear. Fear, fear, fear. The fear of God's judgment. Fear of God's judgment is upon sin. The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And I know we we don't preach much about the wrath of God. and we, We talk a lot about the love of God. We don't have many worship songs on Sunday where we start off with, oh, the, the wrath of God is pouring out. No, it's, we, talk, we sing a lot of, and I understand, okay, it doesn't make a great Sunday morning song. But we talk a lot about the love of God, but we have to understand there's also the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is going to be poured out on sin, and that, that should produce with a, a fear, not, not in the sense of hiding from God, but a respect, a reverence for God. All right, next is vehement desire. And that is to be righteous and obedient to God's word. True repentance. True repentance is not looking for loopholes. Well, I don't know if it really means that. I'm not sure that God really wants me to do all that. No, no. True repentance says, Lord, show me. What what else can I submit my life to? Lord, what else about my life is not in order? What else about me needs to be changed to be in alignment with the word of God? True repentance produces vehement desire. Now, vehement is a passionate word. It's a word that that speaks of passion. That Once I truly repented, there is this passionate desire within me to be righteous and obedient to God's word. Zeal. So we follow up vehement with zeal. It's a double whammy of passion. It's a cup of coffee chased down by, 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 by what are those drinks Brother Cooch used to drink? A rock star or a... A Red Bull. That, that's what we're doing right here. We get a cup of coffee and a Red Bull. Vehement desire and zeal. Zeal is a passion to work for God and His cause. That, that true repentance gets you off the sideline and puts you in the game. I want to do something. I want to do something in the kingdom of God. And then lastly, it says revenge. Some of you are like, yeah, then I definitely repented. I want to get all them people back. No, that, that, you're, you're in the wrong context. All right, revenge against Satan. When I recognize that scumbag that tripped me up and tempted me and put that, that temptation in front of me and caused me to fall, and I think it's the, the, the dual nature of the devil is, is despicable, it's disgusting, because he'll tempt you, and then the moment you fall into that temptation, he turns around and mocks you. And that should put with it, when you really repent, that should put in you, I can't, I'm going to get the devil back. I'm going I'm to I'm worship like I've never worshipped before. Devil, you thought you were going to destroy me? 
I'm going to get revenge on you. I'm going to glorify God like I never have before. Those are the fruits of repentance. When, when truly we've repented, those are not only the fruit, but they're the benefit of repentance. So I, I ask you to look at your life. Are those fruit apparent in your life? And if not, then begin to, to look over your life. And w- what area have I not repented of? What sin am I still in love with? What, what loophole am I looking for in the scripture that I need to close that loophole by true repentance? Turning away from sin. The foundational requirement of a relationship with God is willingness to turn away from sin. Not a half-hearted quarter turn, right? Kind of peeking over our shoulder. Uh, there's, my, there's my sin. I can still see you. No, it's a full 180. Now, only my mom could see things at the back of her head. Nobody else can do that. All right? You, if you're 180 degrees turned, you can't see the sin anymore. This isn't one of them quarter turns where I still know where it's at, and I can get back to it if I need to. It's a 180. All right? I, I'm getting away from my old way of living. It's an absolute abandonment of my sinful desire and actions. If repentance were just turning away from sin, we would all be helpless and hopeless. However, that's only a part of what repentance is. It's not just turning away from negative and destructive actions, but it's turning toward a God of grace, mercy, and immeasurable blessing. When I repented of my sin, I didn't just turn away from a destructive way of living. I turned to a constructive way of living. I I turned away from a world that was just looking for ways to destroy me, and I turn toward a God that is looking for ways to bless me. It's not just about what I turn away from, but it's about what I'm turning toward. Many hesitate to fully turn toward God as they imagine. How empty, how will I ever live without that in my life? How am I going to live without that little sin on the side that, that fulfills me so much? How am I going to live without that sin? Yet it was Jesus that, that promised I am come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Your sin doesn't promise that. What your sin promises is, I'm going to give you pleasure for a season. But at the end of that season, there's there's a, a balloon payment that you're going to have to make. But Jesus says, no, I've come that you might have life, and that life is just going to get better and better and better and better. Amen? It is, it is possible to have an overall good life and still be in need of repentance. There are people living in mansions right now, driving cars that we only dream about driving, living, working jobs we dream about living, but those people need repentance. Okay? We all will need it until we pass from corruptible to incorruptible. Every day, a part of our prayer should be repentance. God, forgive me. Forgive me for the sins I know I committed, for the ones I don't know I committed. Forgive me not just for the sins of commission, but omission, the things I didn't do that I should have done. All right? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, for this corruptible, this sinful nature, must put on incorruption, that nature that's not sinful, and this mortal shall put on immortality. So when this sinful nature shall have put on that godly nature, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying. Then, not not as long as I'm walking in this flesh, but then that saying shall be brought to pass that death is swallowed up in victory. All right, the moment that we lay down this flesh, 
the moment that we get rid of this humanity that is so prone to temptation and sin, then will that saying be brought to pass that death is swallowed up in victory. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. We need to, we need to understand that. When you feel convicted of it, you ought to thank God when you can't sleep at night because of a lie that you told. You ought to thank God when you can't sleep at night because of that image that you looked at that you shouldn't have looked at. Because when you no longer feel that, that's a dangerous place to be. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Without God's grace reaching to, or reaching to us and allowing us a way of escape, we would be trapped in our sin. There are conditions in the physical body, I don't think they're very common, but where people can't feel pain. And, and as a result of that, They'll have their hand you know, on a burner or, or maybe a fire there and they don't even know it. And because they don't, they don't remove their hand and it ends up destroying them. Right? That's what repentance, that's what the goodness of God is. It says, hey, get away from that. It's destroying you. And we ought to be thankful for that. All right? Repentance, our Jesus does not save us that we might remain in our sin. He saves us so that we can be free from Again, I don't understand preachers that don't preach against sin. It's like doctors that don't diagnose cancer. Sorry, I don't, I don't want to ruin my patient's day by telling them that they have a disease that if they don't get it cured, they're going to die. I don't understand that. As a preacher, we, should, we, are, we are fulfilling the gospel when we preach against sin because you cannot be saved without turning away from sin. Repentance is the turn that we make to begin following Jesus out of sin and into a life everlasting. Let's move into water baptism like in, in the lesson, not like, I mean, if you want to, if you haven't been, we'll do it right now. But water baptism, baptize, comes from the Greek word baptizo, and literally means to dip, immerse, or bury. There's no translation of the word baptism that means sprinkle. All right, we, and again, this, we, we, salvation is God's idea. So we don't get to decide, well, I don't think I want to do it that way. It's God's plan. Noah, when God gave Noah the dimensions for that ark, Noah didn't say, well, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to use gopher wood. I want to use pine wood. I've heard it floats better. All right? I, he didn't have that right. He, when, when God said to Noah, this is how you're going to build the ark, you're going to make it these dimensions, Noah's salvation was dependent upon his obedience him doing it the way God said to do it. It took Noah 100 years to build that ark. I'm sure Noah said, well, why don't I just build a rowboat? You know, just one big enough for me and my family. None of these neighbors want to get on it anyhow. It wouldn't have saved them. He had to do it the way God said do it. And so it is. I want to know what's the Bible say about salvation. Not what does religious tradition say. What does the Bible say? So here's the question, must we be baptized? Well, first of all, it was commanded by Jesus and the apostles. Anybody want to read for me John chapter 3, verses 1 through 5? Brother Trey, go ahead, sir.
All right? So Jesus speaks to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes and says, how do we get in the kingdom? And Jesus says, you've got to be born of the water and the spirit. All right, Mark 16 and 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Right? We, we don't preach that, that you don't have to believe. Absolutely you have to believe. But it begins with believing. But I, one of the illustrations that my dad used to use and, and, and still works, so I'll use it. If somebody ran in here tonight and said, hey, the, the building is on fire. The church is on fire. Everybody out. And you said, I believe you. And you sat there. Are you going to be saved? No, you're not going to be saved. You're, not, you're going to be saved when your actions demonstrate that you believe them. All right? And my belief is, if you tell me the building's on fire, I'm going to run out that door right there, and that's going to be the act that saves me. And that the, in Mark 16 and 16, Jesus says, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Yes, it begins with belief. But it's your obedience that demonstrates your belief. All right, Acts 10 and 48, Peter suggested to them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nope. Jesus said, uh, Peter said to them, it's a really cool thing to do to be baptized. No, he commanded them. Now, if you're, if you're a preacher, you don't command people to do things unless you have a, a biblical foundation to stand on, unless you know that you're standing on good ground. I mean, the only way I'm going to command people to do things is if I know God has spoken to me to do it. If I just think it's a cool idea, I'll say, hey, I think it's a cool idea. But Peter commanded them because he knew it was a biblical mandate to be baptized. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, Acts 10, 48. Baptism is how we enter into covenant relationship with God. All right? I, I don't know. Uh, I might be getting ahead of myself, but... In the Old Testament, covenant was fulfilled through circumcision. And in the New Testament, that the Bible tells us that baptism is, is the figure by which we're... That, that the, in the Old Testament, it was, it was circumcision. In the New Testament, that circumcision is baptism. Right? That's, how our spirit, that, that's how we are spiritual man is circumcised, is through baptism. And, and that's how we enter into covenant relationship with God. So how must we baptize? The scriptural mode or method of baptism is immersion in water. Immerse means to dip or to bury. All right, that's why we don't have a shower head. We have a, a tank there. All right, we don't have one of those hoses where you, you know, with the little adjustable sprinkler head where you can either put it on jet or, or stream. Or, all right, we don't do that because the biblical mandate for baptism is immersion. Immersion is in keeping with... Again, this is a burial. Right? You don't sprinkle dirt on the, 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 the body of a dead person. You put them in the ground. You, you cover that body up. Why? Because that decay, we want, we want that decay to be under the ground. And I don't know about you, but when, 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 when my sin is going to be buried, I don't want to smell the stink of that sin. I want it as deep down as it can get. Amen. So uh, immersion is in keeping with the original meaning of the word baptizo. Scriptural evidence, so it's not just our translation of that one word, but it's also scriptural evidence that points to baptism by immersion. So Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, they went down into the water and came up out of the water. So you don't, do, you don't go, come down and go down and come up out of a sprinkling situation. 
Right? They went down into the water and they came up out of the water. John 3.23 says John the Baptist baptized in Anon because there was much water there. Well, if sprinkling can do the trick, then all we need is a handful of water and we're good. But they baptize in Anon because there's much water there. We're going to need a lot of water. All right, We got some folks that haven't been on the Daniel fast. They, we're going to need a lot of water. Anyway, I don't know why I said that. I should have just left well enough alone. So why, why must we be baptized? One, to follow the example of Jesus. Matthew 3, 13 through 15, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to baptize me. But Jesus answered him and said, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting... In other words, I'm going to do this as an example for others because that's what they're going to have to do to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. All right? So first of all, I want to follow the example of Jesus. Secondly, because baptism is for the remission of sins. Jesus said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name beginning at Jerusalem. And remission, if I remit something, I'm canceling it. So that brings about reconciliation. When I cancel debt, then we're reconciled. So remission is the canceling of a debt. When we're baptized, we're baptized for the remission of sin or for the canceling of the debt of our sin. All right, forgiveness happens at repentance. Remission, the washing away, happens at baptism. So, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Paul was commanded by Ananias to arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling upon the name of the Lord in Acts chapter 22. 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. That's 1 Corinthians 6 and 11. All right, water baptism is part of the new birth experience. Except a man be born of water into the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. All right, according to his mercy, he saved us, Titus 3 and 5, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Baptism is a washing and cleansing of the conscience. 1 Peter 3.21, the like figure, whereunto baptism doth now also save us, not unto the putting away of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9 and 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. All right, baptism identifies us with the burial of Christ. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised from dead, the dead by the glory of the Father, even so should we walk in newness of life. Colossians 2 and 12, we are buried with him in baptism, Wherefore, all, or wherein also you are risen with him 
through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. All right, so baptism identifies us with the burial of Jesus Christ. And then sixth, baptism is taking upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ. All right, even before, baptism was around before Jesus. And, and what they would do is a rabbi would take his disciples, his followers, and he would baptize them in his name. So if you were a, baptist, a, a disciple of Jason, which would not be a good idea, right? you're, you're probably going to be not getting very far, definitely not going to be getting saved if you're, a, if you're a disciple of Jason. But in the days before Jesus, had, or in the days of Jesus, if you were going to be a disciple of that rabbi, he would baptize you, and when they put you under, he would say his name, and you became a disciple of that person. All right? And when we are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, we become disciples of Jesus. We take his name upon our lives. Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as have been baptized in Christ have put on Christ. What does that mean if you haven't been baptized in the name of Christ? You haven't put on the name. You're not a disciple. All right? Romans 13.14, Put ye on the Lord Jesus. James 2 and 7, That worthy name by which you are called. When should I be baptized? Baptism should immediately follow repentance, Acts 22 and 16. Now, infant baptism was not practiced by the early church, and there are a lot of reasons, beginning with immersion. All right, not a good idea to put a baby underwater all the way, right? At least I wouldn't think it's a good idea. Uh, it was not instituted until almost 300 years after the Bible was completely finished and written. Every baptism in the Bible was performed on a conscious believer. So before they would baptize him, they would have to make a confession that I believe in Jesus Christ. All right? They had to make that, that declaration of faith. That's why when we baptize, one of the things that we say, say the name of the person according to your declaration of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? And, and somebody who's not old enough to have that level of faith is not ready for baptism. It's not doing them any good. All right? Baptism should only be administered to someone who is old enough to, one, have faith in Christ. Secondly, be convicted of and repented of sins. Okay, so again, if, if the order is repentance, which is first of all where we're forgiven of our sin, well, having, a, having a, a, sin, a, a debt washed away that you're still not forgiven of doesn't do any good. You still owe it. All right, so you got to be you have to be old enough to be convicted and repent of your sin. Thirdly, understand the significance of baptism. You need to know what's going on. All right, so we don't baptize children in their, until they're old enough to put their faith in Jesus Christ and understand why they should be baptized. And I would add fourthly there because it's not safe to baptize an infant. Now sprinkling is fine, but that's not biblical. All right. When I say it's fine, I mean you're not going to kill the child if you sprinkle them. But you're also not, it's not baptism, not according to the scriptures. At Living Hope, what we do is we dedicate our children. We dedicate them. We do see biblical principle and biblical example where parents would have their children dedicated unto the Lord. So we do that. We, and, and the other thing that we do, you want to guarantee your child's salvation? Be a godly parent. All right, pray over your children. All right, be a guardian over what, what you allow them to watch. 
and the games you allow them to play. You want to guarantee their salvation while they're still young? Demonstrate for them a godly example. So we commit to raise our children in the truth of God's word and to be a godly example. Now, dedication does not convey salvation, but it is an important covenant between the parents and God. Secondly, it should follow. So first of all, we said it should follow repentance. Secondly, it should follow a conviction of the lordship of Christ. So again, one of those definitions of conviction is a belief, a strong belief. And and when we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, when we believe that, that he is Lord, that means that, that, I'm, that, that he's in control of my life, then, then we should be baptized. So what formula should be used? What name should be called out in baptism? Well, Acts 4 and 12 tells us there's, there's only one name under heaven, given, uh, given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. Only one name, only one name saves. All right? Matthew 28 and 19 tells us to baptize them in the name, everybody say the name, of the Father. Is the Father a name? No. Is the Son a name? Is the Holy Ghost a name? No, those are three titles. Those are three, those are three offices that God fulfilled. All right? But we baptize in the name, and there's only one name. That name is Jesus. So be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, People could say, well, you know, that's not what Jesus said. He said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, so that's what we should do. Well, the same disciples he told to do that, every time you see them baptizing, they never, not one time do you find them baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Every time they baptize calling on the name of the Lord. Every single time. All right? That, that, that shows us there was no ambiguity. They knew what he was saying. You baptize in the saving name. Again, it's the name that you called out when they were under the water that made them a disciple. If, I, if they would have said, well, put them under Father, Son, Holy Ghost, or, you know, I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father. There's a thousand fathers. Which one? All right, I'm baptizing you in the name of the Son. Well, you know, every man in here is a son. The name of Jesus, that's where the salvation comes. There's only one baptism. Ephesians 4, 5, 6. Chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, tell us that one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So, so the two formulae must be rectified. Again, we kind of went through that. Matthew 28, 19 says to baptize in the name. All right? Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are not names, they're titles. The name of Jesus is the one saving name of God. When you speak the name of Jesus, you speak the name of the one who is the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, all the Godhead. Is contained within Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week, Colossians 2 and 9. The fullness of the Godhead dwell in him bodily. Acts 2 and 38 is the fulfillment, right? Simon Peter was there on that day when Jesus said to all them, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Acts 2 38 was the first time we see anybody fulfilling that commandment. And what did Simon Peter tell them to do? He didn't say, repent. Be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. He said, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. Samaritans were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 8 and 12. But when they believed Philip, when they believed Philip, when they believed the man of God, 
preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. They believed on the name and they were baptized. Cornelius' household and his friends who had just received the Holy Ghost were commanded by Peter to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Ephesians believers who had been baptized under John's baptism were rebaptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would say to you if you're here today and you've been baptized any other way, I'm not here to condemn the way you were baptized before. I don't find in this scripture with the Ephesians, I don't find that they condemned that they had been baptized under John's baptism. They just said, hey, you need to get rebaptized, calling on the name of the Lord. And if you've been baptized any other way, I would say the best thing you can do tonight before you leave this building is come and say, Pastor, baptize me in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins. Amen? No shame in that. There's no shame in that. We're not condemning what you might have done before. We're just saying, hey, let's get baptized the way the Bible says that we should do it. We are to do all things in the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Nowhere can it be found that New Testament believers were baptized in any other name than in the Lord Jesus Christ. How important is baptism? And we're concluding our lesson tonight. Ephesians 4 and 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is only one valid baptism, and that is the baptism taught by the apostles. Brother Scott, why don't you read? I saw you a little bit ago. Raise your hand. Would you read Acts chapter 19, verses 3 through 5 for me? All right. Thank you, Brother Scott. When they heard this, when they heard it made sense, they heard it, they believed. What did they do? They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Their prior baptism had been an expression of their faith and was unto repentance. Right? It, they, they had faith. And it was a baptism unto repentance under John, but they needed a baptism unto salvation. All right? Matthew 3 and 11 Indeed, baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whom shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John's entire message was a message of repentance. Turn away from sin. Turn away from sin. Jesus came with an even greater message. He built upon the message of John. This isn't just about turning away from sin. This is about everlasting life. John could not give them that. All right? John was not a perfect man. He was not a sinless sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the only one that could offer unto them salvation. So John's baptism was not enough. They had to be baptized under the only name that could bring them to salvation. That's the name of Jesus. They still had a need for baptism into the only saving name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And lastly, it is necessary for salvation. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. 1 Peter 3.21 tells us it is the, that baptism is the like figure. That baptism doth now also save us. And the comparison there 
was to Noah and his family getting the ark. Talking about the ark was the figure that saved Noah and his family, but baptism is the figure that we are saved by. We need to understand the importance of baptism. I think we do. But I think if we're not careful, it just becomes old, old hat. And yeah, there's somebody else up there getting dunked. We need to understand that baptism is an important part of salvation. And every time we put somebody under, those, under, the, under that water and we call upon the name of Jesus, there's something supernatural that is taking place. There's something that nothing else in this world can do, but baptism can do. Amen. All right, why don't we stand together? And next week, we're going to conclude our uh, study of 301. My wife is going to be teaching next week. And uh, we're going to be talking about the baptism of the Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And uh, God bless you all. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you tonight for the study of your word. Lord, I know that Paul said to Timothy, continue in the doctrine. Continue in the doctrine because in preaching the doctrine and continuing to declare the doctrine, you're both going to save yourself and everybody that hears you. And Lord, I believe tonight as we're resourcing the church, as we're resourcing the people of God, that doctrine is essential in these last days. Lord, because doctrine is what is going to save us. Doctrine is what is going to save our lost neighbors. Doctrine is what is going to save our lost co-workers. And so I pray tonight, God, let us get a conviction. Lord, that strong belief of, our, of the necessity of every unbeliever to come, first of all, to repentance, Lord. We pray, God, Sunday when we walk into this building, God, let there be conviction. Let there be, God, conviction. Let there be godly sorrow that brings people to an altar of repentance because, God, without repentance, without turning away from sin and turning unto righteousness, humanity cannot be saved. And so I pray on Sunday, God, let there be the presence, the convicting power of God drawing people to an altar of repentance. And Lord, I pray on Sunday, God, let these waters not be untroubled, but God, let these waters be stirred as men and women, God, and young people, Lord, realize that they must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. And they come forward and say, I've got to take on that only saving name. I've got to be buried with Christ in baptism. I pray it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, I am trained. I am equipped. I am empowered. Amen. I think I messed that up, but you got it. I am empowered. Amen. God bless you all. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you all on Sunday. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.